Good morning, church, and welcome. That's right. Once again, welcome to Super Bowl Sunday. You know, as you know, today, Americans will be eating a lot of pizzas and wings. But you also know that today is also a day that our nation will be divided into two teams. But regardless of who you are rooting for, may the best team wins. Yeah, go Eagles! Oops. My bad, wrong team. And for those of you guys who are joining us for the first time, my name is Ben, one of the pastors here at CLC. And we are so glad you are joining us this morning as we navigate through a sermon series on prayer. Now, last week, Pastor Andrew started us off by mentioning that in Touchstone is a small rock containing silica that was rubbed against a piece of gold or metal to test its degree or purity or genuineness and challenged us the seriousness of prayers and to check if our prayers were genuine and effective by sharing with us that prayer was, prayer is a duty or a discipline. And also prayer is a, a conversation with God And lastly, prayer requires a balance, right? Good. I'm glad that all of you guys did not forget. Now, before I unfold the secrets to what prayer requires, now, did you all try to go and find a prayer partner? A homework that was given last week, remember? Uh, You know, a God sighting that I have for this week was watching one of our basic crew teachers face when she shouted, I finally found my prayer partner. I finally found my prayer partner. I mean, you should have seen her face as she glowed with excitement. So then some of you guys, why the long faces? Uh, well, Pastor Ben, I, I tried to find someone this week, but no luck. Well, and I'm sure uh, our Pam, our prayer team leader, would love to find someone for you. So why don't you reach out? And give Pam a holler. Oh, Pam. Oh, Pam. I I, I need to find my prayer partner. And could you help me? I mean, that's exactly what she did. She matched me up with John Koyama. And for the past eight months, you know what? I long for every Thursday night. And John shares with me that, you know what? The importance of praying together. That prayer isn't meant to be a solitary or self-focused, but that Jesus really, really wanted us to, what? Pray together. So go and definitely find someone, either for yourself or give Pam a call, because knowing, right, knowing that someone, our church, is praying for you daily, man, I don't know about you, but it's a great feeling. Hey, John, Did I put you on the spot? Well, that's what prayer partners are for, right? Right? Okay. Now, in his book uh, on prayer, Tim Keller states that prayer is about both awe and intimacy. It is both a conversation and an encounter with God. But, you know, quite so often, we have a wrong view on prayers. We have an idea. Too many of us put prayers in the wrong role. What I mean by that, that there are some of those 
who have this kind of attitude. Pastor Ben, you know, I, I get guilty whenever our, whenever prayer is mentioned. In fact, is even as I am praying now, I'm feeling guilty. And I'm feeling guilty because, I mean, I didn't pray long enough, fervently enough, or passionately enough, or eloquently enough. But, you know, the last time I checked, Prayer was never given by God as something to inflict guilt upon us, right? But rather something to alleviate our guilt. And the peace of God, which transcends all the understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds when when we give up our prayers and petitions in every of our situations. But do you know why we feel guilty when it comes to prayers? It's because we pray a performance-based prayers, and this, Jesus calls it a pagan prayer. And so today, I have been given the privilege to unbox what prayer requires. And Tim Keller breaks this down into three categories. Number one, grace. And number two, helplessness. And number three, fear. Now, after many, many hours of prayers and many more hours of writing and rewriting, you know, I've decided to only focus upon the grace of God because I feel how we view God as our Father determines how we view our prayers. So today's message is going to be very short. I mean short. And for those of you guys who are dying to know, Pastor Ben, what about fear? What about helplessness? Well, make sure you go out and purchase the book, right? Purchase the book of prayer, right? Prayer and read it for yourself personally and to find out what Tim Keller says about fear and helplessness in terms of what prayer requires. So with that, would you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 to 9? Now, did you find it? If not, um, it, it's put up on the screens for us. So let's read it together, okay? Let's read it together. It, it's a habit that we haven't done it before, but let's read it together, okay? So one, two, and three. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your fathers know what you need before you ask of him. Then this is how you should pray, our Father. Now, did you see in verse 7, Jesus introduces to us a style of praying called pagan prayer. Do you see that? In verse 7, but when you pray, do not... Keep on babbling like the pagans, for they themselves will be heard because of their many words. Now, when we hear the word pagan, we usually give it a kind of a negative connotation, don't we? When someone does an ill-religious act, we say, you pagan or you pagans, right? 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 But Jesus, here, Jesus is describing the pagans as Gentiles who spoke verbosely and excessively in prayer to their gods and, and making their pr- uh, prayer requests, they believed 
that God could be influenced and be persuaded by the proper petitions if they use the right words to present and to make their cases. So these, these Gentiles made sure that they dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. And, and they usually used quite lengthy words in efforts to solicit a, a favorable responses from their own God. But today Jesus says in verse 8, do not be like them. Don't be like the pagans for your father's knows what you need before you ask of him. This then is how we should pray, how you should pray, our Father. Now, wait a minute. Pastor Ben, are you telling us that we shouldn't ask for things? See, our Father is in heaven, already knows what we need. Is that what Jesus is saying? You don't have to, you don't need to pray for and ask for things? Obviously not, because several verses later in verse 11, he teaches us the Lord's Prayer, right? In the Lord's Prayer, he tells us to what? To ask for our daily bread. And now the point that Jesus is making here, what he's trying to say is that there are two bases that you could approach God. There is one, the pagan way. The Gentiles who prayed a lot using lengthy words and feeling confident that their prayers ought to be heard because of their many words and fancy words. So they constantly babbled up and talked up a storm versus their right approach to prayer. And Jesus reveals it to us, the secret sauce of true prayers as, which is knowing that God, who is our Father. And so we should lay up our prayers using our Father. You know, in, in layman's term, and I love to use that word layman because, you know, we're a layman church. In layman's term, term true prayers does not or does not in, 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 in any ways for shapes or sizes it has to do with length or, or the eloquence in our words, but rather how you approach and how we view God. And this morning, Jesus is revealing it to us in one kind of a one sentence and one liner. And this is what Jesus is saying to us. You see, when we come to God, we do not come as pagans of performances, but as children of grace. Repeat it again. Did you see this? When we come to God, we do not come as pagans of performances, but as children of grace. But you know, we sometimes consider God not as our father, but as God who is like our personable genie, isn't it? That, that's why when, when we pray or when we look at our own prayers, right? Supplication tends to overshadow other parts of our prayers, like adorations, thanksgiving, and, and confessions. Now, for those of some of you guys, whoa, whoa, what about confession? We have to confess? Shoot, I, I don't even remember the last time I confessed. So then quite often, we think God as a personable genie. And our prayers are sometimes like, God, give me this or give me that. I want this or I want that. Or if you grant me this, I won't. 
you know, um, for those of you guys who are watching, would you just pray for me? Because I, I don't know what's going on. It's, this has never happened. But those of you guys who are, are listening, maybe the answers of the guilty feelings lie because we do what the pagans do. Prayer, performance-based prayers in saying, Lord, I, I go to church. I serve in the church. I tithe. I give it to the poor. And you know me as a good person. And we begin to check off the boxes that we have created to reassure that we are good Christians. And we begin to develop a relationship with God based upon our performances, just like the Gentiles who felt confident that the gods would hear their prayers because of their many words. God, I, I, I mean, I do this as, as, as much for you, so you have to give me this much. And when God does not grant our prayers, we tend to get angry and begin to self-rationalize. Look, I did my part. Can't you see I'm a good Christian? And we automatically assume that he owes us something. And so the relationship leads to a contractual rather than which Tim, call, Tim Keller calls it a business relationship rather than the unconditional as God who became our father. When we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior who died on the cross. So that's why John, in John chapter 1, verse 12, John writes, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. You know, when we unfold this passage, it's not what man does that satisfies God. But the reward of God is Christ himself. In other words, every answer to our prayer starts from realizing the grace of God. Christ's payment by his blood. And we did not and we, we did not or cannot purchase this for ourselves. So when we go to, to our rooms to pray, we're not going to make a purchase. We're not even going to negotiate. But we're going to into prayers because God has ordained what Christ obtained for us and we shall receive it by asking in the father's name so then it is only when we fully understand that jesus came as the ultimate expression of who the father is and what is like and when we look at jesus we see the father's heart being revealed that jesus came not only to reveal the father to us but also he became a bridge for us to enter into his family. Because of our sins, we were separated from God. We were enmity with him. But Jesus made it all possible for us to be adopted into his heavenly royal family as sons and daughters. And so what Christ did on the cross, it changed the dynamics of our prayers from a contractual to a covenantal. And with that basis... Even if we pray the, the suckiest prayers or the shortest prayers, or even when we come to him, when, when our hearts are distracted, when we don't feel like our prayers are good enough, or if our prayers that lack the depth or the eloquence, even we pray a self, selfish, misguided prayers, Christ makes our prayers beautiful unto God because now, God seizes our prayers as his own sons and daughters. I mean, think about this. A child of God going into his presence, saying, hey, dad, 
I know my words aren't eloquent and it isn't even long. It's not even fancy, but, but because Christ died for me and I know that everything I need has been purchased for me. And so as a child of God, I'm asking you and my father, our father. Now, I, I wrote these words that I just spoke, but you know what? I'm getting goosebumps already all over my because knowing this theology, oh my goodness. You know, last Sunday during our basic meetings, the, the leaders had one of the toughest times getting our youth to pray. I, I mean, it, it happens quite often, right? Asking our kids to pray. But there was this long period of silence prevailed, prevailed over the Zoom. And, 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 and Scott asked, anyone, anyone, does anyone like to pray for these certain topics? I mean, dead silence. I mean, later we, we found out that our youth, like any other youth, feel so self-conscious about their words. I mean, what to say, how to say it, let alone. Their big self-consciousness was like how others might feel or view their prayers. So then we waited and waited till one of the youngest. Now, I, I don't want to name names, but among our circle, he, he is one of the shyest. And he volunteered and said, I'll pray. And honestly, the, that prayer, it wasn't long. It wasn't even eloquent, nor he tried to package it up. But man, he was one of the most powerful prayers that we have ever heard from our youth. And the reason being, that prayer wasn't about himself. Actually, it was for the unity of our church. And he proclaimed it on the power of the Holy Spirit to make our church unified. Now, coming from a sixth grader, that made a powerful prayer. Not self-reliance, but God-reliance. Not what we can do, but the grace of God. Now, all the teachers were touched that all the leaders were praising God. Not, not, the, not, the, not the boy. We're praising the Lord. Thank you, Lord. During our crew meeting this, this past Wednesday. You know, as I was listening to our crew meetings and crew leaders, and as leaders and pastors, you know what? We love to see more of these kinds of prayers happening in the church. As children of God, not like the pagans with empty words. Now, by the way, the word empty or, or babbling words, that, that's what it means. Babbling words are empty words. But coming to God as children of grace so when we come to god we do not come as pagans of performances but as children of grace you know i mean what dads would have loved their kids coming to him and saying hey dad i, I got a problem hey dad I've, I've got an issue hey, hey dad i've got a request and they would wait and still upon god's instructions for his solutions and in total you know, dependence. You know, as fathers, do we care if they come and ask us in complete sentences? I mean, do we care if they come and they have dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's? No, no way. We just simply get excited when they just come to you as your sons and daughters, right? Laying at our feet their request. And can you imagine how our Heavenly Father would feel when we do the same thing? 
when we acknowledge him as our father and we confess that this relationship is that of, is that of a covenantal rather than a contractual. You know, since we're talking about contracts, you know, as Christians, we could live in the father's house as either as tenants or as sons and daughters. And the choice is up to us. But if you live like tenants, the relationship is based upon our performances. But if you live in the father's house as sons and daughters, the relationship is based upon conditions, conditions of who we are. Uh, one of the stories in the Bible that makes me so sad is the story of the prodigal son. Now, we all know what the prodigal son did and the outcome of the story. I mean, it's beautiful, right? But, but that's not the son I'm talking about. What I'm talking about, or who I'm talking about is the oldest son who stayed with the father in the father's house while the prodigal son lived a, a paganistic life. But the oldest son lived in the father's house, not as son, but as a tenant. Now, how do I know? Well, what happened when he saw his younger brother with a new robe, the expensive ring, and the fattened calf that the father had killed? I mean, he was enraged with jealousy, right? I mean, he complained to the father, hey, I was the one who stayed by your side. Why your second son lived a, a paganistic and ravaged life? I was the one who did all the hark around the house for you. I plowed your field. I fed your animals. I did all this for you. And what do I get for my labor? Now, does it sound familiar? As I said before, there are two ways in approaching to God. There is the pagan way or the tenant's way, which is based upon what you're willing to perform. I'm going to do this for you, so you owe me. But in another uh, approach or way is the son and the daughter's way or, or a family relationship way, covenantal way. And that is based upon who we are. You see, one being conditional and the other being unconditional. Now, the former is conditional on that we are doing, but the latter is the conditional upon our being. And the way that you approach God plays a big role when our prayers aren't being answered. Now, what happens to our faith when our prayers aren't being answered? When our prayers aren't being answered, uh, do you find yourself either feeling distant from God or maybe feeling, you know, angry towards God? I mean, I did all that for you and this is what I get. What do I get? Our unanswered prayers, right? And this is because we're still viewing God in a contractual way. If I do this for you, I know that you have to come through for me rather than viewing God as our father. That regardless of the outcome, you know and you can trust that our father wants to give his best for his children. And so a religious pagan would say, 
God, come into my life and be my landlord. And as long as I pay my rent, I know you are going to fix all my broken problems. But a real follower of Jesus Christ is someone who says to God, God, come into my life and be my father. And he or she would confess, Lord, I, I don't, I'm not worthy of your favor. But Jesus Christ, who has lived the life of love, the, of the life that I should have lived, died the death that I should have died. And the result on the basis of what he has done, Jesus Christ has done. We proclaim ourselves as children of God, saying, our father. So I, I want to conclude. And I told you that today's message was going to be very, very short. You know. So on Monday, or the next time that you are praying, and maybe you are feeling guilty because you didn't pray long enough, or fervently enough, or passionately enough, or eloquently enough, stop to meditate upon the name of Jesus, by which God's grace had been revealed, so that we could go to God as our Father. And because of his unmerited and undeserved favor towards us, was simply because Jesus finished work at the cross. And because of God's grace, and because God's grace is based upon Jesus' work and not of ours, and the only way that we fall from his grace or disgrace is by believing that you could earn merit or to deserve it through our own works. And our own performances. So next time. When you're feeling guilty as you're praying. I want you to remember. We come to God. As not as pagans of performances. But as children of grace. When we come to God. We do not come as pagans of performances but as children of grace. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Hey, Dad. This morning you taught us to come as children of grace and, and not as people of performances. And we confess that it wasn't because we were handsome or it wasn't because we were rich or we were smart or we are worthy, but because of your precious son that we could call you our father. But because we are creatures of habit, I know that I will still be holding on or we'll be still holding on to the tendency of walking with you as tenants or, or landlord relationship rather than sons and daughters. Dad, you know, even calling you dad sounds so weird right now as, as I'm laying up these prayer requests. But, but that would you, every day of our lives, every moment, help us to reveal more about you as our Heavenly Father. Because, honestly, someone like me, I don't have an earthly dad. And sometimes I long for that father and son relationship or sometimes daughter and father relationship. Hey, Dad, I, I want to confess you to this morning that, you know what, that raising my own children... I wasn't there for my kids. And when they were growing up, it was tough. But I know that, Lord, you're always going to be there for us. Anytime, 
anywhere. And, and we're about to, as we're about to take communion, Lord, give us a desire to love you more today than yesterday. To love you more tomorrow than today. And Lord, we are so grateful that we, we could call you our dad. Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us. Father God, I just want to say thank you for that privilege, for that access. And I pray all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And now to Pastor Calvin for our communion.